You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. What is God doing? God is building this topsy-turvy, upside-down world that seems to be, to us, pretty irrational. Last week, we talked about a sower who went to sow some seeds, and the sower is flinging seed everywhere. And it seems like a monumental waste of capital, doesn't it? Well, the, the sower sowed seeds among the weeds. Like any, any farmer, any gardener, anyone who knows anything about plant life, you got to weed the flower bed first. What are you doing? And yet God is building this topsy-turvy, upside-down world. We talked about this good soil, because sometimes we read the, the parable of the soil, just go be good soil. Oh my gosh, there's so much more to this parable than be good soil. In fact, it's not about being good soil, it's about being on the lookout for it. Be on the lookout for good soil. Jesus outlines three different kinds of soil, and it is not an accident that in the very next chapter of Mark's gospel, there are three different healings that happen. That is on purpose. And what we discover, what we discover in this parable is that the good soil is actually the man who is possessed by the demon, the woman who is suffering, and the girl who was dead. Good soil is the activity of God. Where is God at work in the world? And the soil where the birds snatched up the seeds and where the, the, the seed was choked out where it was shallow ground with no roots, that was the crowd, the people around that were not recognizing the activity of God. What is God doing? Building this upside-down, topsy-turvy, seemingly irrational kingdom. And sometimes we need reminding of this kingdom. So today, we have an equally familiar parable, the parable of the prodigal son, right? And just like the, the sower who went to sow some seed, it's not about, well, just go be good soil. The parable of the prodigal son is not, well, God forgives those who screw up. I mean, yes, but there's so much more to this story. I'll give you the punchline, just in case something happens and you have to leave. Here's the punchline. Grace necessitates that you break the rules. Grace is not leniency. Grace necessitates that you break the rules. Our scripture lesson today is from the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter, beginning with the 11th verse. It'll be uh, on the screen, it will be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, probably Alabama, where he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up, I will go to my father, 
And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out a robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And he began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what's going on? He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all of these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Recently, Isabel took her driver's test. Uh, It was recommended that we go to the Minden DMV, which was terrible advice. Uh, Much love to the beautiful city of Minden, but it was just as busy as any other DMV that I've ever been to. So we go in and we had a scheduled time, thank goodness, Uh, And Isabel was in the little room that's off to the side. She started taking her driver's test. And I know how many questions you have to get right in order to pass the test. So I'm, I'm being nosy. I'm looking through the little window and I'm seeing, and I'm watching the clicker. I'm watching the counter. And I start to, you know, like a dad, I start to tits up like, oh, come on, oh, God, oh. And it reminded me, I had, I, had, I had this flashback, right? I had this flashback when I was in college. This was before I was a preacher. Before you judge me, I was not a preacher yet. So I went with my fraternity brother uh, to the boats. We went to the boats in Baton Rouge, and we were there having a grand time. And one of my fraternity brothers at the blackjack table lost an obscene amount of money. So instead of leaving, he called for an OTO. Do you know what an OTO is? No one's shaking their head because they don't want to admit it a one-time only loan from the house. Yes. So they bring out this OTO this, so that he can break even, so he can get out of there. One hand, one bet, right? So I'm sitting there, like I'm just like, oh, what's about to, oh my God, what's about to happen? Are we gonna be able to walk out of this place? 
are we going to have to carry him out of this place? Like, what happens? I don't know. Thankfully, I don't know how the mob works. So, like, what's what's about to happen? I mean, I've seen Casino. I've, I've seen Godfather. Like, who hasn't? But, like, oh, my, what's about to happen? <sighs> he won. And we left. <laughs> and I pulled him aside. Okay? Like, hey. Like, I'm not trying to be prudish here. I can't go through that again. You got, you, got, you got to change gears, son. Like, we can't do that again. What are you talking about? Are you kidding me? So I'm, I'm at the DMV. Like, oh, what's about to happen? I don't know how this works. Like, what happens? Good news. She passed. Mazel tov. Congratulations. Right? Uh, now I know I'm not going to live to 89. I'm going to live to like 87 at least because like that took, that took some time off of me. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you know, ah, the role of fathers, right? And now, of course, like it's a strange phenomenon when someone gets their learner's permit. Like all of a sudden you start running out of milk a lot. I don't know why. And like all of a sudden like, no, dad, you want to drive? You want to ride with me to Brookshire's? We're out of milk again. Like, uh-huh. okay, yeah. Now look, driver's tests are important. Traffic rules are important. These rules help keep us safe. When you get a license, what you're doing is that you're entering into an agreement with everyone else who has a license to say that you're going to drive safely and you're going to obey the rules. So what happens when you don't obey the rules? A man had two sons. It's the most ambiguous way to start the most familiar parable. (laughs) A man had two sons, and you know the story. The younger one said, drop dead, dad. That's what it means when you say, I want my inheritance now. And there's not a teenager on the planet who hasn't at least thought that at some point in in their career. Drop dead, dad. And the father gives him his inheritance, and he goes to, like I said, the University of Alabama and loses everything that he has. It says that he loses... He loses everything in in dissolute living, right? Dissolute living means to be in excess in a culturally inappropriate way, right? That's that's what it means. Now, we have a picture of what that means in his head. The older brother at the end of the parable kind of spells it out for us. But safely to say he was hedonistically excessive with his inheritance— And he lost it all. In other words, he was at the table, he called for an OTO, and lost. So, he hires himself out to a bunch of pig farmers. And as a nice Jewish boy in the first century, that's probably the worst job that you can possibly have. Pigs were unclean, and here you are spending all of your... Maybe he was at Arkansas. That That was a joke just for Barry. That was just... Just for... So he hired himself out to work with pigs all day. And at that point, he begins to starve. And Jesus says that he came to himself. Now, let me pause for a moment. I'd love to say that he came to this realization because there was a traveling preacher and they had a revival. I'd love to say that he came to himself because his friends called and they had an intervention. I'd love to say that he came to himself because he sat and he got on his knees and sang, Into my heart, into my heart, Lord Jesus. 
But that's not what the parable says. Now, revivals are good. <laughs> Interventions are super important, right? Confession helps move the spirit. But in this case, this was not a moment of personal holiness. This was not a means of self-discovery. He was starving. He hit rock bottom. When you love someone who's struggling with addiction, at a certain time you begin to realize that nothing is going to change until this person is ready to change. It's not going to happen until they come to a place of starvation. You can have a revival, you can have a prayer meeting, you can have an intervention, but until they come to themselves and until they are ready, until there's a moment of starvation, it often doesn't happen. Or maybe it's you. Maybe you have, maybe, you, maybe this story sounds very familiar to you. You lost everything. You go work for some pigs. No one helps you. And you blame everybody. No one, no one helped me. That's what it says. No one gave him anything. The father did not send him a check. And until he was starving for himself, nothing changed. It's like when Jesus, Jesus tell, and this is in the Gospel of John, to the man who was laying on the mat, Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And often the answer to that is, well, no, not really. I don't want to destroy my family. I don't want to hurt people. But like, I don't know who I am without fill in the blank. And I prefer the devil I know to the angels I don't. Not only until the man questions his identity and says, I can no longer be a son, but a slave, does this happen. Listen to the language. He decides to go home and he says this. How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up, I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your slaves, one of your hired hands. Now, this is part of the beauty of Jesus' parables, is that they are ambiguous. It sounds like humility, doesn't it? Don't treat me as your son, treat me as a slave. Except Deuteronomy chapter 21 says this. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father and mother, who does not heed them when they discipline him, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his own town at the gate of that place. They shall say to the elders of this town, the son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all of the men of the town shall stone him to death. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and all Israel will hear and be afraid. A rebellious son, you're supposed to stone to death. A slave, you can't kill. Father, treat me as one of your slaves. It sounds like humility, except he's saying, please don't treat me like your son, because if you treat me like your son, I'm done. 
It's not because he's seeking forgiveness, he's seeking self-preservation. So, he rehearses this plea as he heads home. And then while he was still far off, the parable says the father was moved with compassion and he ran out to meet him. He put his arms around him and embraced him and kissed him. Well, we know as the reader that the father was filled with compassion. Do you know who doesn't know that? The young man. With Deuteronomy chapter 1 ringing in his ears, he sees his father running toward him. What exactly do you think that he thinks is about to happen? I imagine when his father ran out to meet him and went in for an embrace, he bristled and he tensed because he knows the law just like his dad knows the law. My dad is trying to stop me from getting to the gate of the town so that he can end me because that is what I deserve. That is what the law says. And this is another sermon for another day, but the father comes to embrace him and kiss him. Touch and context are important friends and have to be important friends. The father comes in for an embrace. The son thinks he's done for. And I imagine that that embrace was not as smooth as the parable might suggest. This is it. It's over. Dad, treat me like a slave. Please do not treat me like your son. Not only does the father not stone him to death, he gives him a robe and a ring and new shoes and throws a party. Here's the scandal of the parable. Often this parable is presented as the younger brother who keeps screwing up. And I mean, if you have a younger sibling, so it happens, right? The younger sibling, like here, here we go again, the rule breaker, the rebellious one, screwing up over and over and over again. Except it's not the younger brother who broke the rules. It's the father who did. The father broke the rules. Deuteronomy might have been ringing in the younger brother's ears, but don't think it wasn't also ringing in the soul of the dad. To the Pharisee, this is a moment of chaos. If you don't hold your son accountable, how can I hold mine accountable? How can I keep mine in line? If rules are not equally applied, how can we live together in community? If you don't have discipline, you have destruction. If you break the discipline, you might as well not have one. Just like I wish the young man had been influenced by a sermon when he was with the pigs, that would make my job a lot easier to say, see, see how important I am? Because like he, a preacher came by and he told him he was wrong and like the man changed. As much as I wish there was like a revival that changed his heart, I also wish that in this parable, the dad would have said, hey, tonight we're going to throw a party. You're back. But hey, in the morning, I know I just gave you some new sandals. I also got you some new work boots. I'm going to wake you up at 4.15 in the morning and we're going to get to work. Or like, hey, we're going to have a party tonight, but like, give me your car keys. Like, you're never driving again, right? I really wish the parable had gone here because it makes my life a lot easier as a parent. 
See, e even the father, like, okay, like you're back home, right? It's one o'clock in the morning. I didn't know where you were. You're back home, but you are never driving again. I really wish the parable said that. <sighs> but it doesn't. How irresponsible of Jesus. Here's the thing. It's not that grace necessitates that you break the rules. Rather, grace reveals that love is the rule. Where grace is found, you know that love is leading. But preacher, there's got to be consequences. I agree. <laughs> and there is one. And we probably missed it. The young man came to himself because he was starving. He had nothing. Is his own starvation not enough? He was alone. He was desperate. No one helped him. His dad is not an enabler. His dad did not bail him out. His dad did not send him a check. His dad didn't say, okay, well, here, let me Western Union you so you don't have to mess with pigs. Is rock bottom consequence enough? I say it was ambiguous, and that's exactly how the parable presents it. Until the dad says, you were dead, and now you're alive. You were lost, and now you are found. What you chose as an act of self-privation, God chose as a form of humility. Of course, I'm not going to treat you as a slave. I'm going to treat you as my son, the way that I should. And I love you. I'm going to kill the fatted calf, and we're going to celebrate your recovery. It's not that grace necessitates that you break the rules. Rather, grace reveals that love is the rule. And where grace is found, love is leading. Hey man, I know, I know you won tonight. Please don't ever do that again. That moment, is that not consequence enough? Now, the second half of the parable, the older brother working in the field, he hears outcast playing in the house and there's this great party that's going on. He's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I... There's a whole other sermon about the older brother because when grace is given to you, it's a life-giving gift. And when it's given to someone you don't think deserve it, it's the toughest pill in creation to swallow. So we don't have time to get into the older brother's reaction, but let me just let me say this. Uh, don't be that guy. Uh, don't be a jerk, okay? Sometimes the sermon is simple. Don't be a jerk, okay? Your brother's home. They're celebrating. But I didn't get a fat guy. Yeah, and the dad says, everything, every, not your half, your brother got half. Everything I have is yours. Already. But he was dead and he's alive. So, come celebrate his recovery with me. It's not that grace means you have to break the rules, it just reveals what the rules are. 
in this parable, it is the father that broke the rules. Oh my God, this kingdom seems so irrational. Jesus, what do you mean? I thought God wrote the rules. And then God put on flesh and walked among us and fulfilled the law and said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything you have. Everything else, everything else falls under that umbrella. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, whether we are the one in need of grace, whether we are the one who needs to offer it, whether we are the one who just might have to break the rules so that love is the rule. Do not leave us orphaned. Show us what love is. And give us the courage to follow. In Jesus' name.